This morning we're in our, 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 our summer series, the series of Rewind. It's looking back at old stories, something we may have missed or something we can take a, a fresh look at. And I'm going to share some stories here with you this morning, a story of my own. But here I, I want to start with who has seen the television program, Location, Location, Location. It's a great program and I love watching it. It I may have just gone up in your estimations because I've said that, but I'm also aware I may have gone down uh, in others too. (laughs) Anyway, it is a a program. It's a program about property. And the idea behind it is that the location is of the utmost importance. Any house can be great given the right location. And this morning, my talk, my talk is titled Transformation, Transformation, Transformation. It may be corny, I know, but that's intentional, and that's because I want you to get it. In fact, someone far greater than me wants you to get it, and he being Jesus. It's what he came to achieve. Transformation, transformation, transformation is about life, and any life can be transformed given a right relationship with Jesus. Last week, I had the opportunity to witness this in my own life. Jesus has transformed every part of it and continues to do so. But this is a a choice on my part as well. It's an ongoing process. And this became really apparent to me, like I say, last week when I ran out of petrol. Our petrol gauge in the car isn't working properly. And I've been saying for a while now that we need to get it fixed. It constantly shows that we've got a quarter of a tank. And no matter how much petrol we put in it, it often doesn't move off that setting. The other side to that is also when it's running empty, we don't know how much is in it. To manage this, I fill up with petrol regularly, putting 20 or 30 pounds in each time. It's so much easier than taking it to the garage to get it fixed. (laughs) Not really. And that's self-sarcasm there, me speaking to myself. Anyway, it is a good way of managing it when it's just me driving the car, but that's not the case. I have an amazing wife who doesn't think like that. (laughs) I'm not saying whether that's sarcasm. (laughs) No, it it, it isn't. It, It really isn't. She is amazing, but she doesn't know what a petrol station is for. It went better at the nine when she wasn't here, but I don't know how it's going to go. So the story is this. So the story is this. I fill up regularly with petrol, and I roughly know how many miles I've done. And then I top up again every so often just to make sure we don't run out. D, my amazing wife, no sarcasm, doesn't think like me. She just gets in the car and drives I don't know whether she thinks there's a petrol ferry that just comes up and tops up regularly. Or whether she just has more faith than me. And to be fair, it's probably the latter one. Because she's never run out of petrol. And I have twice. Getting back to the story, it was last Thursday and I was here at church all day. Really, really busy. That's for Leon's benefit. So whilst I was here, whilst I was here, Dee had the car all day, 
And then after finishing here, it was straight to work at the Orange Store in the Mary Hill Centre. It's a quick turnaround for me. Uh, just popping home to get changed, then straight back out again. I got to work fine, but the problem arose when leaving work and heading for home. Those of you who know the Mary Hill Centre, those of you know that know it, it closes, it shuts at 9pm. And it's the busiest time to leave the centre. It's not often that I finish dead on nine, as there's usually loads of jobs to be done. But that night, we, we did get everything done and finished five past nine. I was excited at the prospect of getting home that little bit earlier. I walked out to the car park, but then saw all the traffic exiting. I realised it may take a while. All was well, though. I jumped in the car and was making progress, moving slowly out of the centre. I just got past the roundabout by Best Buy heading out of the centre. If you know where I'm talking about, there's two lanes that then lead into four as you come up to the main traffic lights. I'd only just passed the roundabout and was in the right-hand lane of the queue of traffic waiting for the lights to change. My handbrake was on, gear in neutral, paused and ready to go again. Then the traffic started to move, so it was gear into first, handbrake down, clutch up, accelerator down, then nothing. When I say nothing, I mean a pluh. Thinking I'd stalled, I repeated the same procedure. Car started fine, into first gear, clutch up, accelerator down, pull off, but nothing. By this time, I start to panic as I see the traffic behind me building up and the road in front of me empty. I repeat the procedure even faster this time just to see if it works. But you've guessed right. Nothing. It was then that the penny dropped. No petrol. If the rapture could have happened right there and then at that moment, it would have been awesome, but it didn't. And I was faced with bibbing horns informing me that the traffic was moving. I was really grateful for that. And then some unbelievable faces and stares as people did manage to get past me. Even some shaking fists. It was all a bit chaotic, and I had caused it. I sat there for a while with my hazards on. I knew what the problem was, but I was in denial. (laughs) At this point, the traffic was getting worse, and I had caused a huge delay. It was at that moment I decided to ring D and give her the news. I started with a question, which now I know is stating the obvious. I said to her, Dee, did you not put any petrol in the car today? <laughs> when she replied no, it wasn't really a shock to me. I informed her that I'd run out of petrol and maybe a while getting home. It was then she kindly informed me that there was a petrol can in the boot of the car and that Asda really wasn't that far to walk and to fill up. I was really grateful for that too. And even I had to laugh about that situation. For me, for me though, this is transformation at work in my life. You see, if it would have happened just a few years ago, my reaction would have been very different. After several minutes of cursing, I would have turned my anger to God. Why have you let this happen to me? You must really have it in for me. What is going on? They're the usual phrases I would have used. And then the anger... The anger, the frustration that would have stirred up inside me would have been there for days, sometimes weeks. 
But you see, that was the old Simon. And the Bible tells me that if I'm in Christ, the old has gone. It actually says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that I'm a new creation, totally changed. The old has gone and the new has come. That's transformation, transformation, transformation. You see, you can't be part old or part new. It's, it's impossible. You're either one or the other. Old habits, thoughts, etc., they may still be there, but you no longer have to accept them. You have something better. You have something new. And God sees you not how you were, but how you are now. I, for one, am glad about that. I'm not saying I'm perfect. You can ask Dee. She will tell you I'm not. But transformation is not about making you perfect. We'll never be perfect, but it does make you new. And God's ultimate goal for each of our lives is to be transformed. To be transformed into the likeness of Christ. To become Christ-like. That's sanctification. I've had a laugh with you sharing the story of me running out of petrol this morning. And trying to push the Picasso, my heavy car, up the hill on my own is, is quite funny too. But then having to walk down the road with a petrol can in my hand was even funnier. But instead of being angry with God, I laughed with him. My own thoughts would have been, what a numpty, if I'd have seen this happen to anyone else. I may have stopped and helped, but I'd still have thought that. But instead of it being someone else, it was me. I was that numpty. And I laughed. There is a, there is a serious side to this story too. You see, it's often the, the little things, the little things that the enemy uses to catch us off guard. And that's because he wants to stop the transformation process. You can't argue with the fact that your salvation is secure. Your salvation is secure. But what he can do is cast doubt. And he will do at every opportunity. It may be anger issues that you once had. It may be insecurity issues. It may be prideful issues. It may be low self-esteem issues. It may be something that was spoken over you in your past that he will continue to remind you of. But your past is not your future. And God is in charge of that. God has a future for you. This morning, if you're in Christ, I want you to know that you're a new creation. If you've had a real encounter with Jesus, you are transformed. Even if it doesn't feel like it, the truth is you are. The Bible is very clear on it. It's happened to you. So claim it in Jesus' name. Right here, right here, we're going to go with another story of transformation. But this time, it's a, a powerful one. We've been looking back at the last two weeks of the Rewind series of people's stories, some of your stories and what God's been doing in your life. You've watched the DVDs of Rachel Payne and Raj Thepper. This morning, I want to introduce someone live to you. No DVD player, we've got someone live to do it. Woohoo! Why don't you give Jeffrey Allard a huge welcome? Jeffrey is a, a great guy and new to the church. 
Uh, and it's been amazing just to get to know him, just to get alongside him and see what God is doing in his life, see the transformation that God is making. So I'm going to shut up and let Jeffrey share his testimony. Good afternoon. Eight years ago, before I traveled to the UK from Johannesburg, South Africa, I was a born-again spiritual Christian. When I arrived here, I, 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 was, I went straight into a job, and I applied, which I applied for was arranged by my family. I found myself working 60 hours, sometimes 70 hours a week. It was difficult at first, but I soon adjusted to it. But by doing this, my relationship with God gradually faded. I stopped reading the Bible, and before I knew it, I stopped doing what it said. I began to replace, to replace it with philosophies such as self-improvement and existentialism. I met a lady friend and soon moved in with her. And then I started to indulge into drugs and alcohol. My attitude started to change immensely. I started to cause arguments and fight with everyone. My relationship with my lady friend started to get out of hand. And we were constantly arguing and fighting. And soon I, I, found that she was, I found out that she was cheating on me. And that totally broke me. I found myself mixing with bad company and I was walking around filled with bitterness and insecurities. I was, I was out with my mate one day, and we found ourselves in a car racing with another car, and we crashed. I nearly died. But after a major operation, four months in hospital, I got through it. Thinking about it now, I think I did the above to try to fill the emptiness inside me. Then one day, I was busy on my laptop watching a certain pastor preaching. And during his preaching, he kept saying, backslider, come back to God. Every time he said it, it felt like he was saying it to me. I fell on my knees, started sobbing and asking God to get back into my life. I felt the spirit of God activate in my spirit. It was almost like a balloon filled with water exploding inside me. Then I felt the peace in my heart, almost like weight has been lifted off my shoulders. I took a 180 degree turn from my past. I am now more focused, happier with myself. I'm totally delivered, delivered from drugs and alcohol, and I have a good outlook towards life. After everything I've been through, I've, I've now realized that I couldn't have lived without God in my life. I should have died. I should have lost my mind. But even in my sinful ways, God kept me, and he, he, he transformed me. <clears throat> if he can do it for me, then he can do it for you. My relationship with God is ongoing, constantly growing from strength to strength and glory to glory. Yeah, give him a huge clap. Yeah, yeah. I just, um, I, I've not met Jeffrey before, but I just sense I want to pray for him. Is that right? And I want to ask some of the guys who came to Bulgaria with me to come out and join with me and pray for him. And I'll ask everyone, can we just stand for a moment and just stretch your hands out towards him? Some of you guys just come and gather around and we're just going to pray for this brother. Jesus. Father, we thank you for this man. God, we thank you for him just sharing his story with us this morning. And Father, we just pray in Jesus' name that the journey he's been on this last eight months, Father, that we see your hand behind that as well. We see you preserving his life. We see like Jonah who ran away from you and found a ship. And every time we run away from you, we always find a ship. And he ran away from you, but Lord, you never ran away from him. And Father, we thank you for it. And Lord, what, what could have been seen as a, something to take his life actually preserved his life for this point, moment and this point in time. And Father, right now, we speak release to the future that you have for this man. 
Father, we see, Lord, even just these few moments that we've seen him, we see your hand upon his life. And Father, we thank you for all the experiences he's been through. Father, we pray that these experiences now will be part of his story, but they won't be part of his future. Lord, we pray for a different future in Jesus' name. Father, we pray that, Lord, as you took Jonah where you wanted him to always be, eventually we pray that, Lord, this man will be where you want him to be. Father, we pray, Lord God, that nothing from the enemy would pull him back. Father, even having spoken his story out this morning, Lord, the enemy could start to use that and and, and to bring him down in his mind. And we speak against that in Jesus' name. We place a hedge of protection around his mind and around his spirit. And Father, we say, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. There is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing from the past, Jeffrey, will pull you back. God knows it. He has chosen to remember it no more. It is gone. It is behind you. It is the past. The future is a bright day, says the Lord. He knows the plans he has for you, not to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. And Father, we pray, Lord God, that this man will be used by you to bring many others into the light and the life of God in Jesus' name. Father, you may have brought him thousands of miles away, Lord God, but you never let go of him. You never let go of us. Lord, there's nowhere where we can go to escape from your presence. We can go to the depths and you're there. We can go to the heights and you're there. Lord, we can go to anything and you are there. You never leave us or forsake us. Father, we thank you for it. And right now we pray for the protection and the anointing and the power of the Spirit to be upon this man's life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Bless you, brother. Bless you, brother. Give him a That's the power of transformation. It's amazing to see, isn't it? Right then, if you have a Bible, then turn with me to John chapter 8. We're going to look back at another story of transformation. You may know this story well, but we're going to rewind and see if there's anything else we've missed or can take from it. That's John chapter 8. And we're going to start with verse 2. We're going to start at the beginning really. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were, using this as a, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time the older ones first, until it was only Jesus left, with a woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked the woman, who, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This, this may be a familiar story, and I think it's an amazing one. Straight away here for all you theologians out there and for those of you that aren't, I want to give you some background history. The story was not part of the original manuscripts 
and there is debate to the authenticity of it, of this passage of scripture. It was added at a much later date, and some scholars believe that it may not have happened here at this point in the Bible, but at another time in the life and ministry of Jesus. However, the manuscripts that were found at a later date share that this did happen, and I believe that all of the Bible is God-breathed, that all scripture is given by God, and for me, it works right here. You see, we see at the start of this chapter, Jesus, through his grace, stops the crowd in their judgment to stone the woman caught in adultery. And the fact that chapter 8 ends with a stone, uh, an attempt to stone Jesus shows a perfect parallel to the opening of this story. So let's rewind back. Jesus was in the temple courts teaching. He had been doing this for a while and more people were coming to hear his teachings. There was momentum around him. People wanted to listen to what he had to say. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees didn't like this. And they tried to trick Jesus and humiliate him in front of that crowd. They brought a woman to him who was caught in the act of adultery. And they wouldn't have taken her by the arm and quietly escorted him to Jesus. They would have dragged her there, possibly kicking and screaming. And they'd have been condemning her all of the way. Not only did they want to humiliate Jesus... They wanted to humiliate this woman too. In fact, they wanted to kill her. So they get to the temple and they put her before the crowd, right where Jesus is teaching. And they turn to Jesus and they ask him this question. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? Here, they think they've trapped Jesus with the law. It's either break the law of Moses, it's either break the law of Moses, which was to stone the woman, or to break the law of the Romans, which which wouldn't allow such a thing. But what Jesus did next was transformational. You see, he offered a different law, and that's the law of grace. Jesus knows that you don't judge people better, you love them better. And as Christians, we have to operate in that. We have to go with the greater law. The law of grace. For this to happen, it requires transformation. We have to become that person and then that God, we have to become that new person and then let God change our way of thinking. It's a process, but also a choice. Romans 12 verse 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here, it's our responsibility. It's down to us. It's a choice for that to happen. But to help us, God has given us the Holy Spirit. And it's only when we let the Holy Spirit renew, re-educate and redirect our minds will we see and truly be transformed. Because transformation says this, you can't live an ordinary life when you know an extraordinary God. You can't live an ordinary life when you know an extraordinary God. Let's continue with the story in John's Gospel. We left it where the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are trying to trick Jesus with the law. But what Jesus does here is offer a different law, the law of grace. This offer is extended to them too because they'd already broken the law themselves by bringing only the woman to be stoned. You see, the law of Moses says that both man and woman should have been stoned. So when they direct their question at Jesus, the Bible says that he bends down and begins to write in the ground with his finger. 
Now, we don't know what Jesus writes here. And discussions have gone on for centuries about this and the reason he did it. We don't know the answer to it, but I'd like to say what I think. And I want you to stay with me. These are my views, but I believe God is in it. You see, Jesus here is demonstrating a greater law, the law of grace. And throughout John's gospel, Jesus is proclaiming, proclaiming that he is God. Jesus ends chapter 8 by saying, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. And this is the same I am that God told Moses to say who had sent him in the Old Testament. The name was holy and sacred, but Jesus gives himself that name. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees knew exactly what Jesus was saying here and what he was implying. And this resulted in them wanting to stone him too, to kill him. The start of chapter 8 and the end of chapter 8 are similar. There's a stoning incident, but also a God declaration incident. You see, when Jesus bends down to write in the ground with his finger, for me it's significant. God in the Old Testament gave the Ten Commandments, the law, with his own finger. Then again, the Pharisees, here again, the Pharisees and teachers would have known that. And here we see Jesus writing in the ground with his finger. This could be, probably is, a huge statement by Jesus there. We don't know what he writes, but as you picture yourself there, as I picture myself there, and as the crowd become disturbed, you see the broken, distraught woman, and then you see the venom and the anger of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law as they're waiting for a, respon- for a response. It's almost as if they're taunting him, wanting him to, to, to commit himself to making him look bad, making himself look a fool, contradicting the law. It's here. The Bible says that Jesus bends down again and writes in the ground with his finger. Again, I've said we don't know what he said, but stay with me here. Wouldn't it be amazing if he bent down and wrote the word grace? God, God with his own finger writing, can't spell, a greater law. God with his own finger, Jesus writing a greater law. He may not have wrote that. He probably didn't, but he certainly showed it. You see, and when you show grace, you are only ever aware of your own sins. Other people's sins don't come into it. And we see this in verse 7, when Jesus says to them, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to stone her. You see, by extending grace to the woman and not condemning her, it transformed the situation. Grace and transformation go hand in hand. It meant that nobody else could condemn her either. The Bible says that the crowd started to leave from the oldest to the youngest, and that's because they may have become aware of the grace that was needed in their own lives. Their sin became apparent to them, and the older ones were obviously more aware of this, as the Bible says they left first. The story then goes on to say that Jesus and the woman are left alone. And again, for me, this is powerful because Jesus was brought, because she was brought to Jesus to be condemned. But instead of condemning her, Jesus accepts accepts her. And for me, there's a, a lesson here, a lesson for us all. You see, we all sin. And when we do, 
the best place to be when we've messed up is straight in front of Jesus. Don't wait to be dragged there kicking and screaming. We need to put ourselves there before him as it's something that is only between you and God. Now listen to what Jesus says next. Woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? No, the woman replies, then neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. For the woman, this is transformational. In that moment, all of her past has been forgotten and forgiven. And she's been given the opportunity to change. When Jesus says, go and live live your life of sin, he's encouraging her that she's not that person anymore. That she has a different future. Jesus didn't condemn this woman or condone what she did. What he did do was give her a second chance. He created a new law. In fact, a new culture. The culture of grace. And this is what transforms people. And this is available to us all this morning. Jesus wants to continue transforming all of our lives. And as Christians, he also wants us to partner with him in that too. We've been shown grace so that we can show grace. And we're not here to condemn culture or condone culture, but to create culture. To love the unloved and to show grace at every opportunity. And when we do this, we'll see transformation. We'll be part of transformation. We'll live a life of transformation. Transformation, transformation, transformation. I knew I'd get to the start of my talk. Looking back to the the woman in the story, we don't know her identity. The Bible doesn't tell us. But some scholars believe it to be Mary, one of Jesus' most fervent followers. We'll never know if that's the case. And I'm fine with that. But you can imagine it, imagine it of God, can't you? It's what he does. He's taken a broken life, a distraught life, and transforming it into something new, something beautiful, something amazing. As I close now, I, I want to ask Leon to, to come back, and we're going to respond with worship to God. There's only one song that fits here, really, and that's Amazing Grace. It's written out of a life that had been totally transformed. And as we sing, I'd like you to come to the front, all of you to come to the front. I'd like you to come in your rows first, starting with the right, then the middle, then the left. And I'd like you to come to the pot. Inside, I have a present for you. You'll find a a stone. And I want you to take it out to return to your seat and to hold it in your hand as we sing that song. Let's remember that it was grace that covered the stone. And because of grace, it was never thrown. So we're going to head back into worship. Come out in your rows, take a stone and go back. Hold it in your hand and let that powerful reminder be there. Stand together, shall we? Amazing grace. What a statement. What a song. And we get used to singing the words that sometimes we take for granted in their meaning. But John Newton knew it. He knew the transformational power of grace. Do you, and do you show it to the people around you? In your hand, you have a stone. And I want you to take it and look on it. 
depending on which way you're holding it, you could just see a stone, a pebble really. You turn it over, it has the word grace written on it. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law only saw the stone. And the stone was intended for harm. The stone was intended for death. But Jesus saw the stone and he saw grace. He saw an opportunity to give life instead of taking it away. Today, that opportunity is in your hand. You can either use the stone for hurt, for damage, to bring someone down. Or you can see grace and use it to show love, to give life. Let it be a reminder of the transformational power of grace. It was because of grace that the stone was never thrown. And I'd like to say that I'd like you not to throw this stone away, really. I want it to be a reminder all week of the, the grace that we've been given, but also so we can show that grace to you know bringing those stones in it, it was uncomfortable it was they were heavy and this week they may be uncomfortable in your pocket or wherever you want to keep them but sometimes showing grace is uncomfortable sometimes it's the hardest thing we want to do sometimes we just want to throw that stone so this week let's look for the opportunity not to throw a stone but to throw grace.